You're now tuned into the Soma Live on Union and Metro podcast. I am Jerm. I am Jer. And I'm Mikey Beats. Soma Live was an all-aged concert hall with two locations in San Diego. First on Union from 88 to 94. Second on Metro from 94 to 99. We're here to share experiences from the best all-ages venue in America's finest city. On this episode, we talk about booking the talent, relationships, national shows versus local shows, tech writers, and marketing with flyer routes. Don't forget the manila envelopes of cash. Honorable mention to the Circle Jerks and Bad Religion. Let's go. Before you see the show, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a ton that goes into it. Uh, you know, you're going to a live show. Well, where do we start? I mean, we start with booking the talent, right? Right. So let's, uh, let's run through, um, you know, we have local bands, which is, you know, a, a lot less, I imagine, pre-production. But, you know, you do national acts that are on, you know, labels and they have booking agents and whatnot, managers. There's a lot more that goes into that. Uh, wh- where would you like to start? Well, let's just let's go back to the idea of of union, the way that I was able to do it back then, because it graduated so much from how the ease for me towards Metro and as things were going, because I would get a phone number such as I'd talk to. Um, Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks, and I, I wanted to book Bad Religion. I wanted to book the Circle Jerks, but they weren't playing. So Keith gives me Greg's number. I call up Greg, and I'm talking to him on the phone. And, you know, I still had my pager in case I got another call, because I don't even think I had call waiting. So I talked to Greg, and I had to establish relationships with these people. And then anyone that had management, you know, if you were... At that time, luckily, I didn't really have to deal with managers. But so then it's a matter of, okay, this is the date. These are bands. Do you have someone you want to play with you? Does this sound cool? And then, of course, I have to sell the club to whoever it is because I have to convince them if it's the first time playing. So we got, you know, the sound system, blah, 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 and the, and, and all the different things to let them know that they're not basically coming down to have all their equipment stolen and to get beat up like the Vandal show. So once I established a relationship with someone, then they would have to check with all the band members. And then once everyone okays it, okay, I can do it, I can do it, blah, blah, blah. And you basically have to just kind of organize the show as it's building. And... Greatest thing is just to be honest. You know, no bullshitting around. This is how it's going to be. These are the bands. And then you start talking logistics like money. And you have to keep a a constant communication with the bands because you're establishing a relationship and a business relationship. And that was how we got, like, that's how I got Ill Repute and The Offspring um, and other bands. But then as we were maturing and gaining momentum with what we were doing at Soma. At that point, then, you know, booking agents would call up. Uh, GBH is coming over, you know, to do a U.S. tour, and they usually go through, you know, whoever and play Iguanas, but now they want to play Soma because so-and-so said a good thing because they know somebody, and it was all word of mouth. Versus now... As you know, you guys know, it's a little bit more difficult, and there's it's you can't do it within that 
30 to 45 day period. Some shows are booked a year in advance, which, you know, then things change over time. So, so like in, in Jerry's case, uh, when you took over, um, no, did you take over when Golden Voice was already part of it in the picture, or you took over and then Golden Voice came in? No, no, I was, I was uh, basically when Jeremy quit. That's when I filled his shoes. Right. So I was doing uh, the local booking. I think Lynn pretty much was doing all the national acts, uh, unless I was friends with somebody that was a national act, and then Lynn would hit me up saying, "Hey, can you can you get this band to play or whatever?" and and basically, after we're on a tour, that's the that's the other thing is you're looking for tours that that are being put right. together so we can get that band in in so, that area if they're on a on a national wide tour. So that um, made it easier once bands actually started touring because you know you got to remember back then there was iguanas is where the majority of bands went because everyone else around town was closing down. Well, especially uh, after Union closed down, that definitely w- was where all the bands went, was yeah. Iguanas. So we have to make a little note here, um, for those that don't aren't familiar with Iguanas, Iguanas was, uh, what, 18 and up or all age in Tijuana. Right. And it, was, it was 18 and up with full-on drinking. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. It was a pretty rowdy place. And yeah. I, yeah. Even talking to some band members... Um, back in the day, some of them said they wouldn't even play there again because of the issues that uh, happened there. So that was like the competition for Soma at the time. Um, no, no, actually, no. It was just that at the time filled the gap yeah. when, when Union closed. Uh-huh. So that's where all the, all the shows that Soma would normally do went to Iguanas, the punk shows. Right. So, so would anyone was, ever play Iguanas and then play Soma, or would that be considered um, the same? No, it wouldn't be considered the same because it was in a different uh, country. Right. So, I mean, that was Mexico. So, so when, you, when you took over bookings, Jerry, um, you know, uh, Jeremy, you were on a, a pay phone or your home phone and a pager. Did, were there cell phones at the time? Did you yeah, I got a cell then? phone from Lynn, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was only to be used <laughs> with Lynn. <laughs> So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make calls, like personal calls with that cell phone. So it was a direct connect. Basically, it was the red phone, you know? Yeah. The, the, the hotline right to Lynn. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's rad. So how would, you, um, how would you do market research? I mean, was it just that you were already involved with so many local bands that, was, you know, that, that Jerem had booked for years? And- oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, Jerem set the standard on that because, I mean, we already... He, we already had established bands, and then new bands would come along and say, "Hey, here's our here's our demo. What do you think?" And um, yeah. and if they fit, you know, like like yeah. Jerem was saying in the past, you know, it was a science to booking. You wanted to get kind of the similar type of bands to play a show, right. which made it a better show. But then there was times, you know, looking at these old flyers, you could see a a good mix of bands. You know, you had punk and ska, like the Bucko Nine Blink show. I mean, that's. That's yeah. a total different mix, but Bucko Nine kind of crosses over a little bit. They're they're punk and ska, so it it works. Yeah, and it's kind of nice to pull in uh, different types of fans that might not want to see ska or punk, but yet they come and then they end up liking the band. So that builds that band's fan base. Right. So now the the bills booked. Um, again, we have local, we have national. Uh, how? How was it marketed at the time? There was obviously no internet. So the, the what, reader. Oh, the yeah. reader. The reader was pretty much 
our main point of uh, advertising mm-hmm. for the venue. So the San Diego Weekly Reader. Once a week. We had our little section in there where yeah. all the shows would be um, posted out there for everybody to see. That and then the phone line. Yeah. And then that was later in the beginning, though. It, it was, you know, there was an art to making a flyer. So a lot of, you know, doing your band experience back then was, you know, you, you had someone that could make a really good flyer. And then just like up in Hollywood where you hear the stories about, you know, Motley Crue or whoever passing out flyers to everyone on the strip, you had to get out there. And luckily there was different stores. There was the Gamma Gamma and, and um, Tread Air UK. Um, and then the record stores, there was a lot of off the records. Music Trader. Eventually, Jeff started doing all the Music Traders, which helped my job so much. But Blue Meanie. And so... Tang. Yeah, Tang. And um, what, what I would do, I mean, there's even a point in the early days when I moved back from Santee, I moved into OB. And that's when things started to really get serious. I'd already kind of done a few shows. So this is 89, 90-ish. I think by 90, I was back in OB. So we would go to high schools, and Silas and I would ride our boards, and we would go up to Point Loma High, and we'd go around, and we would staple the flyers on telephone poles. Post no bills. You've heard that? Mm -hmm. Well, we posted bills everywhere. But the thing was to be strategic about it. You didn't want to get caught. And you could actually give one, so we had these little cards that we can hand out. But that was the thing is, if you got obnoxious about it and you put them too many places, you would get nailed and then you would get a fine. But they're everywhere. And that's why when you look at a telephone pole, it's riddled in those staples. So the record stores and places that would let us, and you almost had to kind of, I wouldn't say really buy your window space, but you had to have some courtesy and earn a proper space in the windows of your record stores. If you could find a restaurant that might put some flyers up, you had to get kind of crafty. So you had a, a route, I would say, right? Oh, yeah. I, I had, um, what we did was, I did, um, once eventually I got a car. Mind you, I resisted getting a car for the longest time. I had a skateboard. I didn't need a freaking car because I had 100 miles. And Len's all, well, you know East County because you lived out there for a couple of years. So why don't you do the East County route and I'll do the, the North and South route? So he would go from Chula Vista all the way up to Oceanside. Hit up. That was about 100 miles. My route was I would hit from OB all the way out to El Cajon. And back, and that was about 100 miles. Yowzers. And um, I'm driving around in this big old station wagon. Magnificent. Thank you. Um, we'll get into that another time, but, you know, Big Mike. Yeah, so I'm riding around in that thing, and I got my stack of flyers, and I knew it's, you know, it would take a day, sometimes two days, and it depended on me and my crappy mood or whatever, whatever the car was doing. But it would it would take up a day to flyer, and then that's where the passes would come in. We would give passes to the um, mainly the main people at the record stores, and it was two passes, and you used to sign them. And that's that's another story for another time. But my signature, because I used to sign the passes, got duplicated until I came up with this really crappy signature that I still use to this day. 
that looks like a child throwing a fit with a pen on a piece of paper. <laughs> That's so. So when you did the ticket run, you were uh, you were giving passes out to two people for the yeah for the each, record store each location. We kind of yeah. changed that. We went to guest list. Like, yeah. Hey, what names do you want to put on that guest list and for that show? Yeah. So that was our trade off with um, advertising the shows at the at that music trader. Uh, lose off the record yeah. wherever we yeah. we uh had tickets at, available at and that was the Avanta ticks i believe well the the tickets in the beginning we used to print them ourselves oh yeah that's right you had the you had the colored ones yeah yeah i mean everything was kind of diy but i'm not going to take any of the credit for any of this because len already had this whole system worked out and hope was our our graphic artist and Sometimes I would have to see her. We would go to Kinko's and we would get them made. I'd get the call on the bat phone, get over here. I got flyers. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm doing flyers today instead of going to my garden. But it, I already knew. So I'm making it seem dramatic. But yeah, that's, we did everything ourselves. And it took us a while to actually even get to the, the ticket point to where, you know, we had to build trust within this whole town you, you had know. multiple ticket outlets at multiple record shops a lot of them that was a yeah. long that those ticket yeah. runs were long so there's a lot of you know driving around with a cannon in case anyone tries no i'm just kidding <laughs> but you know driving around and picking up you know cash. cash a lot of cash and doing this right um you guys had me i remember i would get like a stack of 15 20 tickets or whatever for the you know taylor Steele surf premiere Mm-hmm. You know, Blink or Unwritten Law Show or something like that. Um, and I would sell them at Claremont High School. And, dude, kids were buying that stuff up like crazy. I remember, gosh, one, one time I had, like, five different tickets. And I was, like, just slanging tickets. and yeah. Which made it easier for the kids. That way they didn't have to go to any of the record stores or to the venue to buy right. the ticket. They had their ticket in advance, which worked out pretty good. Other than you having to hold all that cash. Yeah. I those, I, those manila yeah. envelopes with the cash and the tickets. Yeah. I remember that. Which, in hindsight, when you look at it, we were all kind of psychos for doing that. Yeah. But we just, there wasn't, you know, it was a different time. And as things matured and it got more onto online, there was so much legwork that just went in just for the tickets and flyering, as well as putting on a show where now you can do everything virtually from a couch. And as long as both hands don't have Cheeto dust on them, you know, you're getting work done and you're still getting your munchies and you're more productive than spending an entire day taking the flyers out, right? Then if you're like, oh, well, I, I got to get some more over there. Or one thing for me, if I was missing some for a show in a record store and if I didn't have some in the truck or in the car, I would come back the next day and bring some from home. So I always tried to keep a little bit and people liked them as souvenirs. But, you know, if there's no flyers in the record store and I come in and I'm like, hey, where's our flyers? Oh, well, blah, 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 put a flyer up of, you know, a mariachi band playing at, you know, someplace. I'm like, well, my flyers should be up there. And there was times like that, you know. What I want to know is when you have these national touring acts, um, how how would a fan in L.A. or Scottsdale get a ticket to a show in the late 80s early 90s they Ooh. wouldn't <laughs> yeah because <laughs> um, there, there was no internet man they would they'd have to actually come out here physically and mm-hmm. be able to get a ticket yep 
So remember, there was no websites. There was no band website, or so the, the record the, labels weren't putting out anything out there. Well, they were putting out mailers. Yeah, some some yeah, of them did some. mailers. Yeah, but not some. We didn't get too much. I mean, uh, right before Metro closed down, I was getting stuff from like uh, um, Nothing Records. You know, uh, like with for Nine Inch Nails, I was getting stuff like that, but not a lot. Yeah, well, well, so, we get these little postcards. Hey, this band's putting out a new album, that kind of thing. But well, when, as time as time went on with it, with the national acts, um, would would there be a deal with Soma and Ticketmaster where the tickets would be on sale with Ticketmaster? Oh yeah, at national outlets. Yeah, we did we did Ticketmaster. But before that, depending though, on I'm, the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I imagine you know going back to Union Street. Um, you're, you know, you talked about bad religion or, you know, X, Y, Z band. That was, that was a big national act, a big deal. Yeah, I, I never got bad religion for the record. For the record. I never got them. They ended up playing later, but you know, that's a perfect example. I remember specifically talking to Keith and then I, when I called Greg, you know, I'm still at this point, I was 21. I'm nervous. I'm talking to Greg Hetson. I'd seen him play Iguanas. And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, hey, what, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm playing Nintendo. I was like, okay, icebreaker, done. So then I, now I had put on my, I don't know where this business face came from, but it came on, and then I had to talk to him. But then, you know, eventually they did play Soma, so that, just for the record, I never, I, I'm still trying to get Wadi and the Exploited to play, but I'm not doing it anymore. Well, you're go- you were going for it back then. Um, once you had them hooked, how did someone buy tickets to the show that didn't live in San Diego? They were literally people. I remember people coming down um, to, it would mainly be either a music trader, by then a music trader or an off the record to purchase them from there. Or they would take a chance to come down to the club. Right. Which is kind of sketchy too, because there's people out in the parking lot with very convincing tickets. But if it doesn't go through the front door, you know, we run into problems. But we tried to accommodate. I, realistically, what went on in the front is completely different than me because that's, you would know more, but Jerry knows way more because I was in the back doing my thing. And that's why I was so confident being able to keep the bands and everything organized because Jerry would be out in the front and then you were wherever I needed. You know, I just kind of start thinking about you and then <laughs> there you are. We had that connection. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the art. It wasn't like that in the beginning and it took us a while to grow into that. So the, coming from where we went with Union and all the struggles by the time Metro and all that, it just it became again. Had I the, have to give props to had everyone. the system. Had it, the system yeah, out. It was it was yeah. amazing. We all basically we Very all had to work our system out, figuring out. You know, mm-hmm. we get into that routine, and it was a routine. Like when when the yeah. uh, sound company would show up, we load in, and then okay, the band's going to show up at this time. We got to load them in, and you know. Now, would you get? Um, obviously you get stage plots and advancing from a uh, national acts. If they, if they had a booking agent, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we'd get that stuff. But what about, what about local again. bands? How would you local bands didn't have that? No. Now would it just be anarchy when they show up? Just, no, we you... just put them where, Hey, where do you want your kit? Where, I mean, well, everybody knew that the kit was going to go on the riser. Right. Um, but Hey, where do you, where do you, where's the bass player going to be at? Where's the guitar player? You know, how do you want to set it up? 
and we just lo- loaded them on like that. So. Yeah. For me, I think how I took it was I paid attention at some parties that we had done, and then I was involved with with the bands that I eventually brought over to Soma. And I just always kind of had this thing in the back of my mind, like, you know, I should know these little things. And again, it goes back to Ara from the ninth when they had the shows at the cave, and Ara's like, you know, you're charged of the Dora germ, so, you know, don't screw up, dude, and don't let that guy in. So, you know, I just kind of, I would pay attention to things because I was so, it was so neat. It was so, like, we're doing something. So... Basically, you got to think of it like this. Your homies are coming over, and they're going to put on this freaking show. All right, well, I know that the bass player is on the right side. I know, blah, blah, blah. So you just start opening a communication, and it's a way to ease the the anxiety of playing. You're used to playing in front of 100 people at a party, but here you are in 100, you know, or 1,000-plus uh, uh, arena, or if you're down the, the dungeon, but everyone has, I have my place on stage. I know where I want to be. So everyone in a band kind of knows, and you try to just work with them. You build a relationship that way. So you get them set up. And then when the sound guys come in, they're miking everything, and people are like, oh, you're going to mic the guitar? Oh, the direct for the bass? And oh, you actually mic the drums? And yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, we're... We're kind of learning this together, but we're 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 figuring this out. So then you start building the rapport, so people expect things. So you come in, you just kind of have your same speech each time. Okay, well, you know, you got to sign in and guess, and let me give you a stamp. Because remember, we would give them a stamp. And then we had to do the uh, the sound checks. Yeah. Now I remember that, if I recall correctly, the national acts would come in first or whoever the headliner is yes uh to sound check yep and then i believe the next band will come in the next band so the equipment well, actually, would the, be on stage yeah the the yeah the we main get stage. everything load on stage kind of kind of layer it up so the the front would be the opener and they would get sound checked and that would be it the bands between would never get checked right, right. so it was only the opener and the headliner gotcha so on the main stage there was enough room to have stacks in front of stacks yeah, um, so, sometimes. Was there a house drum kit? No. No. Never. So it was always the we drummer did always. did have to bring in a drum kit for uh, Morbid Angel. Oh. Um, it was supposed to be a double kick. Um, very, very set on what he wanted. So that was on the right. Um, and it was supposed to be black, but we got him white drums. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes... You piss them off from the minute they get there. Right. Luckily, the show, that show went on. But, yeah, it, you know, eventually when we started to get, you know, the rider from the band of specs, I mean, there's things from the microphones to what gets mic'd. There's a lot of different specs that they want. But that kind of grew as we grew, and then we would accommodate, and then that's when we would have to work with the sound guy and, to... And- we never really had to worry about uh, sound stuff because industrial always pretty much had everything. Yeah. They always had us covered. That's true. And I think with with the they always had the writer in advance for for the stage plot. So right. I don't think we ever us ever really had to worry about a stage plot. It was always industrial. Yeah. Um, 
or whoever I would have laughed doing. if a local band showed up with a writer and a stage plot. <laughs> um, it's di- it's totally that, different that now. Happened. Now the kids have this stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's, I would I would just laugh if I seen that. It's 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 happened. I've I've had a very uncomfortable. You're gonna, you're gonna give me a writer and you're only bringing five people to the show. I don't um, think so. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think they brought five people. <laughs> I don't even think they filled a guest list, but I'm not going to name any names because um, he's um, this guy's been around for a while. But uh, yeah, um, I think you should totally name names. No, I, why not? It's been no. 50 years. I mean, because I'm not even sure what his <laughs> name where's is. My, where's my meat tray? Where's my cheese tray? <laughs> yeah, I'm a local band. Well, the first thing was, oh crap! I got to deal with you. Where's Len? I said. Len's not here. This is my show, and I booked him. I booked you guys as a favor for Len, and he was like, and probably told me to go to hell or something. But I, you got to name a name. Is this a? Yeah, no. Uh, okay, we'll get you there someday. Yeah, it was. It was um, during the Christmas vacation, though, when I would book. Was it? Was it Union or Metro? It was Metro. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Then it's somebody we know. Yes. Someone that's going to listen to this podcast. Probably not. Okay. Because then, of me. <laughs> now you got to say the name. No. Uh. So. So the bands. Um. Did you guys have the bands sell tickets? Like give them physical tickets no. to sell? No. No. That no. never happened at Metro or uh, Union. That started at SD. Right. Oh, okay. Um, and that was because when Soma closed down in '99. Pretty much all the bands got used to playing L.A., which was pay-to-play. So they're the, they got used to having to get tickets and sell the tickets. Usually they had to sell 20 tickets in order to play. Mm-hmm. So that was your pay-to-play. And when we reopened Soma uh, at the sports arena, Soma SD, um, a lot of the bands were like, hey, you know, we want tickets to sell. So that's when that started. So let's talk compensation for the bands. Local bands, if I recall, got a buck ahead that they would say their name at the door. Is that correct? Correct. That's correct. And uh, were were there guarantees of any local bands or, of course, national acts or the national acts back then? Yeah, that would be contractually in the beginning when it was kind of loosely done before um, before they. Yeah, that was a. Uh, and it, well, there was always a contract with the nationals and some of the bigger local. Yeah, bands. the bigger ones there always was. But yeah. just for instance, when I um, so I just happened to meet Tony from uh, Ill Repute on a little tour that Short Lived did with Struggle. Well, some of the guys that Struggle and Short Lived played up at Gilman. So I talked to Tony from Ill Repute, and I'm like, yeah, you know, let's do a show. And so he um, got me the Offspring and the Grim with Ill Repute. So we had a guarantee, and if I rem- again, my books are somewhere buried under probably piles of skateboards, but I believe it was two hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and then a hundred dollars for the Grim. And I didn't really, I couldn't find a local band that didn't wasn't playing and that wanted to do the show or whatever reason. So I remember I I got um, blasphemy, which to me it was like, yeah, I don't even know if I should be booking these guys on this show, but at the time. You know, hey, I was taking a long shot, and I believe I believe this was my first main stage show. It wasn't that big of a crowd at all. Um, I remember that because I can remember being yelled at, but um, it was very loose, but there was a guarantee, and when you look at it now, that kind of money didn't even pay for gas for the whole band. And they were all coming from Oxnard. Right. 
So three hours. Granted, it was a nice stepping stone, and you know, Offspring has done quite well. I I heard someone bought a house off of one of their tours. I remember someone bragging me about. Um, so you know, they they blew up, but local bands. It was basically if you can't even bring five people in and you're filling up your whole guest list, you know, I'm I'm here to work with you. But if you don't bring in people, you're kind of cheating everyone. And this place isn't free. So I would end up giving money out of my pocket because I'd have guilt, basically. You need some gas money. You need to go get a freaking beer. I will deal with it because I have another show tomorrow. That was in the early, early days. We learned from our mistakes. Yeah, don't pull money out of your own pocket. And <laughs> it, well, actually, I did that even at Metro, and you know, actually, that carried on even with me. At that's SD, that's so, true. I remember um, I paid a lot out of my own pocket to different people, but um, yeah, so basically, uh, before the doors even open, um, the, there's just tons of stuff that go into the show. Wow, I mean, we mentioned the marketing, we mentioned the ticketing, um, you know, pre-production, advancing the show. And all that. So when you know when when once band goes on, it's a whole different world. There's a lot of other details. We'll we'll get into it. Like there's a lot. I mean, there's a part of just you and your eyes walking around, keeping things together. There's there's a lot of different moving parts to doing a show, and we just barely even got into. I mean, we're still talking about union stuff, let alone Metro. Once the wheel was greased and actually worked, that sometimes was just amazing. This podcast was recorded at SGM Studio, the home of Sleeping Giant Music. It was also mixed and mastered by our friends at distinctmastering.com. Music provided by Break Anchor. Please like us, follow us, subscribe to us, find us. Thank you.